This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Happy Thursday. It is Kenny and Heilprin back live again. I'm Ben Kenny. He is Zach Heilprin. Zach, I've missed you. Good afternoon. It's been a while. I shouldn't even say good afternoon. Good night. Uh, it's been a while. We didn't get to do a show last week because the stupid Brewers. Yeah. Well, we I mean, excuse me. The awesome Brewers. Badger show. Badger show. Yeah. We did a podcast, which is up and available where our podcasts are found. Search Kenny and Heilprin. Uh, talking about Kamari McGee and spring practice and all that good stuff. Today, though. So... I was thinking this morning about what we were going to talk about today and a lot of it spring ball wrap up stuff. The last practice of the spring session for Wisconsin is tomorrow night, but they had one this morning and we're pretty much at the end and going into fall camp and then the season pretty much for the team. So I was thinking some spring ball wrap up stuff. We'll get into that. We'll get into your spring practice takeaway since we've last spoken, but I was watching the bucks game last night. Did you catch that contest by any chance? I did. Um, the Bucks fall to the Bulls, and we're not going to talk about the game itself, but there was one thing that happened in the game that my gear, when my gears start turning and I watch other sports, whether it's football or golf or the NBA, I always think about how I can connect it back to either Wisconsin football or during that season, Wisconsin basketball. And Chris Middleton goes down what has now been reported sprained MCL three to four weeks. He will be out definitely the end of the bull series. And then I don't really know the timeline. The games are spaced out weird, but when he went down, he's undoubtedly a guy that is critical to the buck success. We saw what he did last year in the playoffs. He is pivotal on the offensive side, closing games for them to win a championship. I think he has to be healthy, but that got me thinking for this Wisconsin team going into 2022, who are the guys? And when I first thought about it, maybe it was a little bad to think, Who are the guys that if they get hurt, Wisconsin would be screwed? So I decided to spin it in a more positive way. Which Wisconsin Badgers are the most valuable above their possible replacements on the depth chart? And you've watched spring practice. You know what that depth chart looks like. And you've seen a lot of the guys that maybe other people haven't heard of that could end up playing a role if one of these guys would get hurt. So I compiled a little list. And we could go about this, you tell me if I'm a crazy person, or we could just fire them off, because this also takes us through the entire roster and what the depth does look like. But I think we can agree that number one is Graham Mertz. Yes. That if he goes down, now, is he the most talented? Is he the best player on the team? I would go as far as to say no. I can assume not. But we know what is behind him in Chase Wolf and Deacon Hill. We talked about them on the podcast last week. It's up wherever you find podcasts, Kenny and Halpern. If Graham Mertz, or his value above the other quarterbacks, I think is greater than any other position. Because if Wisconsin were to lose him, I think they would, for the most part, be lost offensively. And it's such a tough thing to say because he hasn't been overly good. Right. Right? Like, he hasn't been great by any stretch. Uh, though I think, he, obviously, as we've talked about quite a few times before, is I thought he had a good eight-game stretch when they won eight in a row. He was He was... More than capable and more than uh, good enough to be the starting quarterback, and they won games, and he limited the turnovers and all that good stuff. And yet, that there's the other aspect of it that he hasn't necessarily played up to the level that everybody expects him to, or the level that he probably expects himself to, and certainly Wisconsin doesn't. But 
based on what we've seen this spring, and I've seen good things from Chase Wolf too, Graham is still one, and if he goes down, it doesn't look great after that. I don't know how great it looks with him in it, right? But I know what it, I know how great it does not look when <laughs> when it uh, when he's not in there. I actually think I might have gone as far as saying during last year, during the win streak, maybe after the Rutgers game or the Northwestern game where he was throwing touchdowns, even take away some of those questionable picks. I think I went as far as to say at that point that like Graham Mertz had arrived again yeah, and I was proven wrong quickly. <laughs> that was not my finest take. The Minnesota game happened. But if you take away the Minnesota game, the signs are there. And this is this is the offseason talk. What is Graham Mertz going to look like? But I, yeah, we can agree that at the top of the most valuable depth chart, and this isn't the NBA and their stupid most valuable player thing. This is who has the most value above who would replace them. However you feel about his play and his consistency, it's the quarterback. I know we're talking about this, but I think we just pocket, you need to pocket an idea that we just talked about. I'll write it down. The worst Badger take that you've had Ooh. And, and I've got I've got my own plenty of them now I know I don't know if I have as many as you but like I know <laughs> that I that I have plenty of them and so I feel like at some point later this this uh this summer this summer because we we're gonna have a lot of time to talk this summer I feel like that's a very good topic because it's it's you're owning your mistakes yes like how are we expecting Graham Mertz and all these other guys to own their mistakes when we won't own our own. Oh, I, I will get out in front of all of my bad takes mm. and accept them. Well, some of them I still believe to be good, yeah, there which you go. some would disagree with. But yeah, so, so Graham, Graham Mertz, number one. Yeah. Um, and if you want to chime in, 608-321-1670. Tweet at the show, at Kenny underscore Heilprin. Number two is interesting because I think there are a couple guys you could argue. I think there is a clear first tier of three people. Mertz, number one. Number two, I would argue, is Braylon Allen. And part of that is he is probably the most talented, skill, definitely the most talented skill position player on offense, maybe the most talented and the most impactful offensive player. And yes, Ches Malusi, if he's healthy, we've seen him do solid stuff. I wouldn't be confident in Julius Davis leading the backfield, but Braylon Allen, just because of the dominance he showed, and he pretty much... He took a lot of pressure off Mertz. He pretty much won some football games on the offensive side of the ball last year. I would put him number two. And it took a big toll on him. Yes. Right? Like, that's, it took a big toll on him. And it, that, to me, means that they need some other guys there. And I'm not saying Braylon is, Allen isn't by far the best running back they have. He is. But they need some other bodies there. And so we've seen Chesma Lucy was close to 1,000 yards. I have it pulled up <laughs> close to a thousand yards, 815. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, Isaac Grendo when healthy has shown to be a pretty good player. Brady shippers played a ton of football. There are other guys that can step in there. And Julius Davis had a great spring. Even Grover Bordelotti has had a uh, solid spring. Like they have a bunch of guys there. So I, I guess I wouldn't think Braylon Allen is at number two. Okay. I would, I, I say that mainly because of, I think to beat, especially the big 10 West best competition. I'm going to put Ohio state to the side for a second, but to beat the great teams in the West going down the stretch of the year, I'm not confident at this point in Graham Mertz being able to win those games with his arm against good defenses. So when you go past that, it then has to be Braylon Allen. Like we saw against Nebraska last year. I mean, 
Graham Mertz played okay. And the defense, I, Nebraska had some offensive success. But Braylon Allen, as running backs always do against Nebraska, just went crazy. And he pretty much won them the game. Like, those are the performances that without him, I don't know if Wisconsin can win those games. Sure. But they have some proven guys behind him. Now, th- maybe this is a little bit different if those guys were healthy. Right. Uh, I don't know maybe if that changes your mind or if that would change how you view them. Like, if he was coming off what Ch- him and Ches had done and Ches goes over 1,000 and Braylon's right near 1,000, is he still two for you? I mean, if Malusi's healthy, is he still two, is he still two for you? Like, no, he's, he's not because he wouldn't have been. He would not have gotten as many opportunities as he did, and they desperately needed him to be that guy and take those opportunities. But it also cost them, I think, against Minnesota. Like he just didn't have anything left by that by that game because he had nobody behind him. Um, Braylon Allen, fantastic player. I think he's the clearly the most talented running back they have, and very very important to him. But I don't know if he's number two. Would you put him in the top tier of Graham Mertz, Braylon Allen, and the third guy who I say is Keanu Benton? He's in the he's in the top five for me. Mm-hmm. Braylon Allen, Keanu's two because they have n- no proven guys behind him. He like some guys you might say Isaiah Mullins can play that spot or Otis Johnson can play that spot, and they play so much sub package defense that you know as a nose tackle he's not necessarily lining up where a typical nose tackle does on a, on a game, on a play-to-play basis. He's, he's playing the nickel a lot, so it, that may be a little bit different, but he's their run stopper. Like, if they want to stop the run, he needs to be on the field and, and playing at a high level because behind them, Gio Piaz missed all of spring. Curtis Neal missed all of spring because he comes back from an ACL. Ben Barton, a former walk-on, has been the number two nose tackle throughout fall uh, throughout spring. I don't think he's ready. And so, yeah, Keanu Benton would be number two for me. Yeah, so I, I have him three, but I have him in that tier. And I think while they are deeper at that position than we've talked about 2018 in that comparison, they are deep up front on defense. There are guys that can go and play. Nobody else can go be Keanu Benton. No, no. Because he's going to go play in the NFL. Like he is a force in there down the stretch of the season when Wisconsin plays Minnesota at home and faces Mo Ibrahim, I, we think. When they play Iowa, who literally all they do is run the ball good article today in the athletic about how obsessed they were at running on first down last year and how bad they were about it. I was going to say, all they do is run the ball, but you have not very successful there. But part of that is Keanu Benton is a force in there to stop them. When Wisconsin goes to play Michigan state, like his, his presence is necessary more or almost as much uh, than all the other guys on that defense. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I put Mertz, Braylon Allen, Benton. Uh, you would put Allen a little bit below Going down at four, I put Jack Nelson. And part of that is he is the going to be the left tackle of this team, and that is the probably the most important offensive line spot. And two, I think, and this is a little bit projection, but I think he is going to take a massive jump. He, he might have been their best lineman last year. He is definitely one of the most talented guys in the room. Like He is, I think, the most irreplaceable guy on that line at left tackle. I would have said that before. Well, I would have said that at the beginning of the spring because they're moving him over there for a reason, right? Like they, he needs to be on the left side because they didn't have a, they didn't have a guy that they felt comfortable with. But I think Riley Mullins had just a fantastic spring. Like, so you're talking about what wins above replacement or performance above replacement. I don't know if there's that huge of a drop off at this point between Jack Nelson and Riley Mullins. So this is where your presence is valuable and more valuable than anything. Because you've you've seen the guys behind him yeah. and, and how they've performed. I'm not saying that Jack Nelson isn't going to be great. I think he is. I think he's going to be really, really good. 
and uh, has a chance to be like an all Big Ten type of player this year. But Riley Mullman isn't that far off. And I guess I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's some moving pieces around to try and get Riley Mullman on the field. Um, so is there anywhere else you would look behind Benton? If you would go. Oh, so if Mertz, I go Mertz, Mertz Benton. Benton, Benton, I can't believe you. Don't, I, and I know that the outside linebacker spot has so many talented guys, but Nick uh, Herbig is just different. Like he is at a different level. He is the leader of this team. He's the guy that is going to have all the focus on him. I, well, here's the thing about that is I, I said two weeks ago or three weeks ago, they've got five starting outside linebackers. That could, that could, it's no big deal. But Nick Herbig is just a, a step above them. So I think he's got to be somewhere in your, in your top five. Hmm. I don't know about number three, but he's got to be somewhere in your top five. And um, it's so tough because a lot of guys miss time in certain places, but Chimray DK is, and I, again, a lot of wide receivers have really good springs. Chimray is just a notch above them. And if you don't have him, then you don't have a true number one receiver. He is your true number one receiver. And without him, uh, they don't have that at this point. Chimray DK is going to be 2020 Jake Ferguson mode of he, he will lead the team in everything receptions, yards, touchdowns. I mean, I, I don't know why he wouldn't. Yeah. I don't have any problem. Like we going into that 2020 year. Like it's okay. Jake Ferguson will most likely be the guy at every spot. And then as the year went on, it was clear that like he was the guy Mertz was going to target in the red zone. Didn't have anybody else. Well, a lot of the guys got hurt, but (laughs) in terms of leading them in everything, Danny Davis hurt Kendrick Pryor hurt. Like they, that was just a lost season. That is correct. But in terms of leading them in everything, I think Chimera DK is, is in that role in terms of Herbig. He, I, I think he has a chance to be the best outside linebacker in the big 10 um, and be one of the big 10 sack leaders. He has, he showed a massive jump from year one to year two, and he was ridiculously good last year. So if he makes any sort of jump again, I mean, that is crazy production from that spot, but in terms of how much talent and how much depth they have there, I like, I would not, I wouldn't be troubled by Caden Johnson stepping in because I'm for what you've said, for everything we've read from spring from the star talent and your guys' words obviously mean more than that, but a lot of talent in that room. Yeah. And you've said they look look great. So, I mean, yes, he is going to be the statistical leader in a lot of facets on that defense, but, I mean, I'm if he goes down, that, that room is crazy deep and crazy talented. But he's the only one that's actually done it. That's true. On a consistent basis. Like, he's, he's been a starter his first two years. He's the only one that's done it. So I, I think he'd be very difficult to replace. And then uh, another guy who Jim Leonard raved about this week was Alex Smith, Alexander Smith, cornerback, who plays, who is their clear number one corner. And also, this is according to Rudolph, excuse me, according to Leonard, he's their clearly their number one guy, and he can also play safety. And so he's a guy that if the safeties aren't, if it's not happening at safety, if they lose other guys, they can move him back there. Like his versatility, if you didn't have that guy, you could be in trouble a little bit. And he's, he's locked down guys, all spring. So it's, it's, he's important now behind him. Justin Clark's had a great spring and, you know, Jay Shaw, I think is going to have a really good, good year. He's been dinged up here these last couple of weeks uh, or last week or so, but those are all, all three of those guys are starters. And if you were to lose an Alexander Smith, well then your depth chart gets a little bit thinner. And I don't know if uh, Ricardo Holman or some or Cedric Dort or some of these other guys are ready to step into being the guy that you can look at 
and he knows exactly where he needs to be. He makes plays, and he's versatile in the ability to move to different spots. So along those same lines, I thought about John Torchio more so because yeah. at the corner position, and maybe this is also from the film I watched of their previous stops, I didn't think that Cedric Dort filling in would be that big of a drop-off, but things obviously have changed since he got on campus. My first thought in the secondary was Torchio because when you look at the safety room right now, they have four scholarship safeties and two of them are hurt. So going to next season, Torchio is the guy with real experience. We saw him a lot last year and he has a chance to be one of the leaders of the secondary. He definitely is the most experienced in the Wisconsin system of any of the guys set to start at the secondary position. Like Alex Smith has played a lot of snaps, but in terms of that back end, I think he and he is not even close to the best or the most talented player on that defense. But I think his presence is going to it's going to be valuable because without him, once you go a little shallower, we'll see what they do in the portal. Once you go shallower past Torchio, then like you're really scratching the barrel. Yeah, I would agree. Um, going across the rest of the roster, and this is why I guess we didn't bring up some of the other guys. Um, I mentioned cornerback and outside linebacker. You, th- the guys up top, you would list them. I think those positions are really deep. Tight end at this point, we have no idea who's starting. So I don't, I don't know how much a drop-off there would be from what? There are four or five guys right now that could end up getting significant snaps, and a lot of them also are hurt, and we haven't seen them a lot in spring ball. I'm going to bring up Jordan Turner because part of this is projection. I'm a believer in his talent as the clear alpha at outside linebacker on this team. And yes, there are a bunch of other guys that are competing for snaps. There are probably five, uh, four or five deep, maybe uh, throw in Spencer Lytle in there. But I think Turner is going to show that after losing the top two guys who are all big 10, some of the best linebacker production we've seen with them gone him in that role behind him I don't know if that's going to equate to the level of production he can put out Jordan Turner is going to be a stud there's no doubt about that in my mind firm I've been a firm believer in that throughout the entire offseason going back to last year he was he's going to be the next big thing there nothing this spring has changed my mind they the first couple of weeks they rolled with guys you know working with the same guys and and uh just based on how many snaps they had played last last year and Jordan Turner was like with the second team the entire time. And last week they, they flipped it over and started playing the guy. They actually have a depth chart. It's him and Tate Grass. Jordan Turner is a playmaker. Jordan Turner gets after people. Jordan Turner can run. I, the, he is a, I'm, I, I mean, I guess you could say he's a little undersized, but. Not, not severely compared not, to not, Sanborn no. and compared to say a TJ Edwards. I just looked it up. He may, maybe is 20, 30 pounds lighter. But that's not a severe, insane drop off in terms that is of size. Actually, that's actually a significant drop off. Well, it's the same th- height, twenty to thirty. Twenty. Pounds. Okay, I'll, I'll look up the exact numbers again. Because it's significant. It he's, in the exact. Two, he's in the two twenties, and that's fine. I think they'll add even more more to him. But it's about him flying around, right? right? He's fourteen pounds lighter than Sanborn. Okay, I need to relook up Edwards. All right, uh, it's it, it's irrelevant. Like he's a little bit compared to what some of these other guys have. Take grass though next to him has more more than enough size at the at the position too so i don't i don't think they're gonna be like he's i think uh grass gonna kind of be playing the uh role that that chanel did and they're gonna be asking um you know jordan turner to play a little bit further back 
or I should say play a little bit more coverage, like kind of like they did with Sanborn. Yeah, and he he is a lot uh, smaller than TJ Edwards. That okay. was a bad take. There you go. I, I, alone. Philadelphia and everything. But in terms of Sanborn, uh, 14 pounds lighter. So uh, looking at the rest of the roster too, and I wrote this down. So first, a defensive end. I mean, you have James Thompson and Cade McDonald, who people have, you guys have talked about from spring practice, who in theory could step in for Rodas Johnson or Isaiah Mullins at that spot. I mean, I wrote down this team even even as two kickers, where <laughs> where if one of them, God forbid, something happened, like you, you do have another guy that can go in and kick. I think it's st- they do. I think it's still a little early for that. Oh yes, like I'm not. We have yet to see them kick outside, and uh, unlike the Big Ten championship game, which is played inside, mm. and no other Big Ten games are which throughout is a the joke. Ent- throughout the entire year. You do have to go outside and kick, and now the guys they have gone outside and kicked. We just haven't seen them. They've been outside and kicking every single practice, but we haven't we haven't seen it because um, obviously Camp Randall Stadium is undergoing renovations at this point, so you can't. So there's there's actually no field in there to to be on. So they go out to the north practice field and kick. But both of them have shown at times to be good kickers. But again, it's inside. Yeah. All right. Six zero eight three two one sixteen seventy. Twitter question of the day is at Kenny underscore Heilprin. Which members of the team do you think are the most valuable above their possible replacements? I would go Mertz, Braylon Allen, Keanu Benton, Jack Nelson, and John Torchio. Zach put in Nick Herbig and Shamara DK into that top group. When we come back, Zach's big spring practice takeaway. It's made some waves in the past. We'll see what he has in store for us this week. That's coming up next on Kenny and Halperin. This is Kenny and Halperin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Kenny and Heilprin, 608-321-1670. Who do you think Wisconsin could not afford to lose next year when they take the field in September against Zach? I'm going to have to consult with Uh, RJ and we'll get back to you. Yes. Illinois State. Illinois State. The Redbirds. Uh, Fun non-con coming up. Is it the Redbirds? It looks like Redbirds. Okay. Some, it's a Cardinal. I think it's the Redbirds. Okay. Fun non-conference. Uh, Illinois State. Washington State should be a little interesting. New Mexico State. Uh, and all then home, All home games, and then it maybe it gets turned up a little bit. And then bang, Big Ten play comes, and they go to Columbus, which mm. should be an interesting one. Uh, I, I should make... Go. I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, Justin Clark. So someone tweeted about... Did you see that yesterday? Yeah. yeah. So uh, somebody tweeted about how... Um, Ohio State's going to have the most explosive offense <laughs> in the country. One of the most explosive offenses in the country. I think it was a pro football focus guy, which is undeniable. Yeah, I mean, I they, would argue they got some ridiculous guys. And he quote tweeted it and said, "LOL, bet." I don't think you want that smoke. I, I'm going to have a take on this, Zach. Why do you do that? You don't need to. Why do you do that? You're going to go play them. It's in Columbus. You can settle it on the field and then do the quote tweeting afterwards. Their offense is going to be ridiculous. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you stop it. They have a quarterback that could go number one. Their wide receiver room is ridiculously loaded again, even though they're going to lose maybe two first round picks. And Travion Henderson's a beast. Yeah, 
and they've got a whole bunch of uh, five-star guys coming in again. Uh, so, mm, not a fan of the quote tweet. But again, he was—I mean, he's from Ohio. Yeah, I understand it. I—I I understand a, it. A guy, I don't like a, it. A guy with a chip on his shoulder that was never good enough to play at Ohio State. But then that's something that gets quote tweeted after the game if it doesn't go well, and then like if you don't need that's the type of unit the Ohio State offense you don't need to give them more fuel to be ridiculously good. Yeah, in 2013, Wisconsin went down to Ohio State and it was they had not yet not yet allowed a passing touchdown, and they went down there and uh, or before the week leading up to it, and they're talking about how they had the best pass defense in the country and one of the wide receivers for Ohio State's like yeah well it, that's not going to last long yeah and. Um, Braxton Miller went through, I think, for four or five touchdowns. Yeah, it's like it's Twitter. I get it, but you, you don't need to fuel the fire. It's also a September game. I'm not playing in cold weather. Ohio State can get got at times when it's cold, and maybe the passing game is negated a bit. Just do what Michigan did to him, right? Have it snow. Have it snow and have uh, a potential first overall pick at defensive end. Two first-round picks at defensive end, another possible first rounder at safety have a lot of talent have have a good run game to keep cj stroud on the sideline yeah yeah it's uh easier said than done so zach spring practice almost done finishing tomorrow uh in the past for your takeaways we have heard about the defense we have heard about the offensive line what have you taken away from the recent practices well it's unfortunate because we kind of already talked about it but that's allowed (laughs) jim ray dk man yeah he has a Wisconsin has not had a ton of clear cut number one receivers, right? Like you could go through Quintess Cephas, obviously, Jared Aberderis, Alex Erickson. And then it's like I'm talking about like the last ten years. Yep. Like Nick Toon and Jared Aberderis kind of shared time as you know, so they were there wasn't a clear number one. They probably both were number ones. I mean, they're both NFL talent guys. He's their clear number one. And that's not to say that any of these other guys are not very good players. Like, I think Keontas Lewis is going to have an impact. Dean Ingram has continued to impress almost every time we see practice. Same thing with uh, Skylar Bell. And, um, you know, go on down the line of the different guys that they have and they can throw at you. Marcus Allen. Chimray is just different. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for at, at the wide receiver position. And it's about going up and making the type of plays that Quintess Cephas did in 2019. That's, I mean, he was, he was awesome. And he made Jack Cohn look good. He did. He made Jack Cohn look fantastic. So they haven't necessarily had all of that the last few years. And Chimray's involved in that. He's been a huge part of the offense the last two years. But I think he's clearly taken a jump here in the spring. And to me, he is their clear-cut number one wide receiver and their first since Quintez in 2019. I can think of multiple instances last year down the stretch of the season. One of them was the interception against Minnesota where – there were mostly 50-50, if not close to that, balls up in the air where if a receiver could have come down, muscled a DB and made a play, maybe we talk about some of those games differently. There have been those instances, but they just didn't go. It felt like almost none of them went Wisconsin's way last year. No. And when they've been good, like you go back to 2017, Danny Danny Davis was a fantastic 50-50 ball guy early in his career. I remember out at BYU, he made a great catch down the field, middle of the field from Alex Hornibrook. Quintez Cephas, it was almost like a 70-30 ball when he put it up there just because you almost always knew he was going to come down with it or the other guy, and the other guy wasn't. Like, I don't know how many times he was targeted where the ball ended up going to the other team. Probably very little, especially when it was Jack Cohen throwing the ball. Like, they, he was different. Beautiful deep ball, though. 
he, I mean, he puts it up there yeah. and, and some just ridiculous catches by Quintez, like over his shoulder, going up high to get it. Like yeah. they, he did everything. And I think we've seen some of that from uh, Jim Ray DK this spring. So that transitions perfectly. Uh, it's like you read my mind with what we're talking about next. But with spring practice concluding, one of the things I thought about talking today was where outlook has changed because a lot of the chatter around practices obviously is normal practice chatter. That was brought up uh, when I brought up this topic. But there are also some things that you look at and say, I feel better about that player or that position group than before spring practice started. And one of the ones I wrote down in the positive direction is the wide receiving core, if not the passing game as a whole. And I more so on the receiver side of it, take away the quarterback, which is the biggest part. But in terms of the talent they will have on the outside, And I didn't necessarily say it because of Skylar Bell or Marcus Allen, because a lot of times you could hear, oh, this guy looks great in spring practice and blah, blah, blah. Then when you get up to the season, maybe it doesn't come to fruition. But the two things that stuck out, and I'm going to add what you just said about Chimera DK to it, but the fact that Keontes Lewis and Dean Ingram have both come in and look like they can make a significant impact, that it's not just going to be Chimera DK, Skylar Bell, Marcus Allen, and then nobody else. Because going into spring ball, we knew that Keontas Lewis and Dean Ingram were there, but I didn't know that they could be real options for Graham Burtz in the offense. I didn't. But now I feel like from what I've heard, from the chatter, from the practices, they can. I would agree. Uh, my outlook has changed for the positive there too. But I, again, I, th- I I did think Skyler Bell and, and Marcus Allen would be able to take a jump. I wasn't sure about Keontes Lewis because he didn't catch a pass despite playing as many snaps he did last year. Didn't catch a pass at UCLA. Blame Chip Kelly. Sure. And then Dean Ingram coming over from DB, you had no idea what it was going to look like. Yep. And yet it feels like he's getting better every single time. And then Shimmer taking the step that I think he has. So yeah, I think I would agree that group has taken a positive step in my mind. I think the offensive line has taken... Uh, four spots have taken a, a, a positive step in my mind because we didn't know what it was going to look like when we first showed up there, right? We didn't know it was going to be Jack Nelson at left tackle and, and Tyler Beach. You know, I think it got tweeted out like a day or two before we were allowed to go in. Like that's what was happening. And it looks pretty darn good. Like Tyler Beach is a much better left guard than he is left tackle. Um, it wasn't even the full line. Joe Tipman missed the entire spring and he's uh, one of the better centers. I think of the big 10 already after last year, the, the offensive line has changed. Now I still think the right tackle is a, a huge question mark and one that they're going to have to figure out with Logan Brown or somebody else. But that has changed for the positive as well. Yeah, that's the other one I wrote down significantly. There were a couple others that were honorable mentions, um, like outside linebacker and the words we've heard, what you've said on this show, cornerback, the fact that it looks like the transfers are going to come in and have an impact. Uh, even, I said, at fullback. I love Jackson Acker, Acker at fullback. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if that's going to be a full-time move. I saw him more. I saw him more at running back today than I had all camp, hmm. all spring. I'm not saying that's not where he's going to be, but I think that they're working him at both spots, and um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a full time. Now they've worked fullbacks as the tailback when they've had injury issues in past years, and maybe they were just trying to keep the, the load off of Braylon and and uh, and maybe not and not throw everything at Julius Davis and not put Grover Bordelotti in there and make him take every single rep. So maybe he was getting some time there. I think Jackson Acres' position is fullback. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that is in stone. But, man, you get a fullback with, I mean, we've seen in spurts his talent as a running back. Do you know the last running back, I should say the last fullback that was lighter than their tailback? Alec Ingold? At Wisconsin. Alec Ingold? I mean, he was essentially his own fullback. 
but yes. Um, but was he lighter than uh, JT? No. No? Al Gingles like 245. I, I mean, they're both pretty ridiculously built. I'm going all the way. Like, uh, I probably have to say it's either P.J. Hill before your time. Before my time. Uh, John Clay in his bigger, st- bigger, bigger days. Yep. And then maybe it's Ron Dane. Wow. Like, Ron Dane was like 260, 265, 270, like when he was a freshman, trim, trimmed down a little bit and then got big again as a senior. And the, the fullbacks he had were not necessarily that those that type of big guy yeah so so you like that move a lot though you like the prospects of of accurate fullback i do yeah i think that's his spot and i think it's also going to be one of the uh tight end spots too i think cam large is going to end up there yeah which is i th- there's a lot of shuffling in those spots uh, riley Nowakowski yep. uh has played some at tight made end. a ridiculous catch today just a, down the field like a 40 yard catch down the field for this guy who's uh outline a linebacker then uh, a fullback and now a tight end. The officials said he caught it. Uh, the DBs were not uh, as sure about it. Thought it really? Hit thought it. Thought they hit. Thought it hit the ground. No review to go to though. No review to go to. Just get back to the huddle and run the next play. Shut Defensive up. backs didn't think the ball was caught. Yep. Huh. I don't know if you ever heard that before. No. Um, Zach, I did want to ask you this when we talk about the passing game. Going back for a second, Jesse Temple, great article out in the Athletic um, about maybe what Bobby Ingram could be bringing to this offense. He brings up the stat that. Last year, Wisconsin ran a total of 19 plays out of an empty set um, with at least one running back and one tight end on the field. That was 12th in the Big Ten out of 14 and 92nd in the nation. And Braylon Allen talked a little bit about how Bobby Ingram is trying to bring a dimension where teams can't just stack the box and go all out against them. Have you seen at practice that in at, like that in action when they're scrimmaging or when they're running up and down the field? You think Jesse just wrote that out of, out of thin air? No, but I also wanted you to talk about the specifics. No, I, of what I, know, you saw. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's funny because we were actually talking about that this morning uh, at practice. Uh, me and Jesse were, and I, because it, it has been, it has been four and five wide sets, not necessarily wide receivers. Sometimes it's been four wides in Braylon, or sometimes it's been uh, three wideouts, uh, a tight end in Braylon, or another running back. So it's not necessarily always the the four and five wide receivers, but. I envision it happening more than 19 times. I, I will say that I, it, it has happened quite a bit. And and Paul Chris back in the day, back when he was the offensive coordinator, wasn't afraid to do that type of stuff. Uh, ran it with Scott Tolzien. The game that comes to mind was 2010 against Iowa. Monte Ball had a bunch of catches on a final drive coming out of the slot, just doing a slant with you know four wides out to the side, and he was do a slant underneath, and and uh, it worked really well and so i'm not saying that that's what it's going to be but it's not they they've have they have done this before but i imagine it's going to be a lot more than what we saw last year it's it has to be you can't continue to do you can't continue just to line up and say we're going to punch you in the mouth and that's going to be fine when it's not working yeah when they get punched i i just think about the minnesota game with all this because the other losses some of them towards the beginning of the season there were other crazy things that happened like giving the other team the ball on the goal line three times and scoring three points and four red zone trips against Penn State. Notre Dame game, they have the kickoff and then all those crazy pick sixes. The Michigan game, Mertz goes down, but they got beaten up up front. It's the Minnesota game where they just didn't change anything. And, I mean, I think back to Paul Chris punting from the plus 35, but still game-wide, take away that one drive where he tried to throw deep three times and then ended up punting from the plus 35. Um it's a, you, you can't just go and be that stubborn because there are going to be good defensive lines they face this year. I will say one thing I've seen 
more of this camp than I have ever seen before. Punting from the plus 35? Absolutely not. I have yet to see uh, um, a punt, actually, to be honest with you. They don't punt in there. Is that normal? Well, I mean, I shouldn't say they don't punt in there. They they punt, but it hits the ceiling. It's like it's just pointless. So they do go outside and punt. Yes. The, either way, what I've seen more often this camp is you see those deep balls they've been hitting on? A ton of them, a ton of them have been coming out of the slot. Like, you know, go routes out of the slot. I don't think we've seen a, a ton of that. Maybe Maybe they've run it, but they haven't thrown it. But they've thrown that a ton. Like almost a majority of their big plays down the field have come out of the slot. Now, Jim Ray DK is a big part of that. But Dean Ingram has hit from there. Keontes Lewis has hit from there. Like I think challenging guys down the middle of the field is certainly going to be uh, a part of this. And that's because when, you are, when you're running the ball, those safeties are going to start creeping up. And you can get behind them when you're having success running the ball. And I think out of the slot probably is the easiest place to do it. And there's no Brandon Joseph or... Um... Daxton Hill on the schedule or Kyle Hamilton there. There aren't those ridiculous level safeties that right. are going to face. Yeah. Um, Ohio state will have some good ones, but I, I mean, they face three ridiculous talents at that position, but I'm with you. All right. When we come back, there's how our outlooks have changed. Uh, passing game. Good offensive line. Also good. Graham Mertz. We'll see. But what are the other questions we have going into the summer as we approach fall camp in the coming months? That's coming up next on Kenny and Halperin. This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. All right, we're back. Kenny and Heilprin. A couple segments left before we get out of here. I We're going to table the questions for the summer thing for a little later because it's a longer conversation. I think the big one is very clear and evident. Graham Mertz, will he be consistent? What year is it? Uh, it's I Honestly, Wisconsin, I insert Wisconsin quarterback name here not named Jack Cohn or Russell Wilson, can he be consistent? Imagine, imagine, imagine putting Jack Cohn in the same breath as Russell Wilson. Imagine doing that. I've done it and, before. And imagine doing that. No, and, I said and, he's... And keeping it with a straight... And trying to keep a straight face and saying it. I said he's been the best one since him. You're completely forgetting about the all-time wins leader in Wisconsin history. Jack Cohn is going to be the first one since him to get drafted. Which, they, by the way, next Thursday, the, the Kenny and Halprin... Don't worry, don't worry it's not going to be next Thursday. Well, <laughs> you are correct. The, Friday either. the Kenny and Halpern NFL draft show next Thursday. Timing is great, um, which brings me to this because I wanted to give this a test run before all of my NFL draft takes come out about Wisconsin and where they could land and who I think is going to be good. Um, your BS meter. Beep, 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 beep. Now we whenever know you, whenever you start talking exactly beep, 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 beep. when I say certain things, I, I can see it in your eyes that that the BS meter starts ticking. Um, <laughs> Nebraska basketball was awesome. They uh, were a great team. I already it tweeted happen. I already tweeted beep, 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 my public beep, 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 apology beep, 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 beep. about that. I messed up Nebraska, the best three win football team in college football history. Well, they were. But beep, beep, this year, people beep, are going to overcorrect because they have an easy schedule, but they are crazy uh, shallow and they are going to be very volatile in both trenches. Where does your beloved S and P rankings have them? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I would need to go check somewhere in the thirties, but they're going to be five and two, and then they're going to lose four straight games to miss a bowl game. We'll see, man. They got, they, they may have an actual quarterback. Um, well, they're going to need him. They, they have talent, at wide receiver, but offensive line eh. defensive line is like big. Ugh. Ugh. 
Um, but your BS meter. So I had tweeted out from Kenny and how Kenny underscore how print on Twitter. The topic we were just talking about where outlook has changed since the beginning of spring ball and people replied. And I think it's interesting because some of these, I, anyone that hears them will think the BS meter will go off, but I think some have some truth and some I do really agree with, but I wrote a couple down. Um, one of them, and this is a, a larger conversation, which you know more about than anybody because you're at the practices. But one take on this spring period was most of it is just normal spring practice talk like we get every year about the same kind of players at the same spots, minus the fact about Mertz's inconsistency. Where are you at on that? Can you repeat that? <laughs> most of what we have heard from the spring practice building is just normal spring practice talk. That's accurate. That none of it is very noteworthy. I think that's accurate because, and I'm probably going to go have to do this now is go back to previous years. We changed websites. So it kind of sucks because all that stuff was lost, but like go back to previous years, see what was written about these guys. I can just go into other people's stuff and look at theirs and make fun of them instead Mm. of making fun of myself. But most of the stuff that we talk about does not end up happening in the fall. I mean, that's just that that's just, what it is um you know like there have been times that you've proclaimed a great a player to be great in the spring and he's going to have a huge impact in the fall and it doesn't happen and we'll get at some point to the summer of all my all those guys that i said were going to be great that ended up not being great we need someone else to go through and find them and then just send it to you <laughs> let somebody else do it for we, me we need an intern yeah we need someone to do the busy work yeah so yes i think that is a fair statement um all right i, I i'm with you I do think, though, this year with all the turnover at certain places, I do think there is some truth to what we have seen, or there is some realistic projection, I guess is the way I'll put it. Sure. Like, what are the cliches, though? Oh, man, they're throwing the ball down the field more. (laughs) They are... Passing game looks great. They are doing more stuff in four and five wide receiver sets. Offensive line looks dominant. The offense, I mean, the outside linebackers can't be stopped. Well, <laughs> one of those can't be true. Like the offensive line can't be dominant. And the outside linebackers can't be great. Like that, that's just not how it works. Like there, there are so many cliches you could throw out there that we talk about every single year, and then they just don't matter and they just don't uh, come to fruition in the fall. But that's why, you know, you, you have to take each practice and be like, all right, that was that was one day. It doesn't matter. It's why the overreaction to one bad day from Graham Mertz or one great day from Graham Mertz just doesn't make any sense. Yep. All right. Comment number two. Someone said this team will feel very similar to 2019 beat the hell out of bad teams have one big win where they catch someone on a good day, blow it against someone horrible and then lose to Ohio state and Indy. Beep, beep, beep. You're not there. It's not a full on BS. They are going to lose to teams like Ohio state. They're not going to, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to beat Ohio state. They may lose at Michigan state. They may, you know, have, have, problems here and there they're going to beat the teams that they should beat but for the most part under Paul Chris they don't lose to teams that they're not supposed to lose to obviously the Minnesota game is is probably a significant outlier there right uh but for the most part under Paul Chris they have not lost games where they've been the favorite and where they are expected to win Barry Alvarez would always get someone would always jump up and grab him like almost every single year it felt like someone up someone that should not have been anywhere close to him would jump up and grab him for the most part, that hasn't happened, Paul Chris. So I kind of call BS on that. The other stuff, though, it's Wisconsin football, so of course that stuff's going to happen. Until you prove it differently, that is who you are, even if it's a new team. I want to find the tweet of how many straight games Wisconsin's been favored in against non-Ohio State teams. 
But the last game that they were underdogs in against someone not named Ohio State was the 2018 pinstripe bowl. Do you think they should against be Miami? Do you think they like, I don't think losing to Penn state or, or Michigan is like losing games that you're supposed to win. Like, I don't, no. I don't view that way. No, the only game last year that you were supposed to win and a team that you were probably better than jumped up and got you was Minnesota. I agree. But for the most part, that just has not happened. Yeah. For the most part, Minnesota, Minnesota has done it a couple times to Paul Chris, but for the most part, it hasn't happened. I agree. I'll hit a couple more when we come back. Final segment, Kenny and Halprin coming up next. This is Kenny and Halprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. All right. Final segment. Quick one before we get out of here. Um... So you you mentioned the Penn State thing, and I wanted to respond to that quickly in terms of the games Wisconsin lost early, whether they were losing games they should have won. I sh- and no, but no, it's a good question because they were favored in Vegas. The lines were very slim, but all of those games I considered either I, I thought Wisconsin would lose or they were toss ups or I thought they would win. But none of those are games where you look at and say, oh, how did they lose or huh? How like how can they keep losing games they're supposed to win? I don't think they were supposed to win any of those games. I think they could have won those games, all of them. The ju- the, the part I disagree with is the idea that they ju- teams jumping up and getting them, like a team that shouldn't jump up and get them. Penn State's not one of those teams. Michigan's nope. not a team like that. Notre Dame's not a team like that. Those teams aren't jumping up and getting them. They're they're fighting them on even ground. Like it's it's losing as like a double digit underdog or uh, as a double digit favorite or something like that. Like, which they did against Illinois yes. uh, uh, in 2019. Like those, those are the type of things that a team they shouldn't get. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for us next Thursday, 6 o'clock, the Kenny and Heilprin NFL Draft Show. See ya. Kenny and Heilprin, Thursdays from 6 to 7 and on demand at madcitysportszone.com.